Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of March 2017. Now years ago I I talked about the training we'll get. Well, we're always getting trained by the rulers basically of the nations or the blocks of nations, the regions of the nations or of the whole globe. We're always getting trained from birth to death, always towards the population they want to have, say in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, and they start with with the children born that year, always upgrading them a little bit more than the ones born the previous year. It's an incremental system according to your age group. And and it really is so precise that that they talked about it in the 1930s in the old Soviet system where Beria would have the Comintern meetings and talk about how to train generations of people. He said it used to take literally a lifetime, like a 70-year lifespan, to get a change in society by starting at the youth and letting them grow up and constantly indoctrinating them. He says now we can literally upgrade the system every three or four years, vast changes. And it's so clever, it's pretty well perfect when you think about it. So that a certain age group, say, can be shocked at something that pushes a little bit further than they were trained to see and accept whereas those only four years younger than them will accept it. And, and I've even studied lots of, of uh, queries. They're always having queries on the population, on what do you think of this, what do you think of that. And then they publish the age groups that go along with the new permissiveness of whatever kind it happens to be at the time. So it works perfectly well. But part of the training, too, for the, the new global system was the perfect training where eventually people won't even really care what their governments are up to, what they're doing, how they're doing it, or anything else. And that's the perfect system where you, you'll take it for granted that it's not your place to know or even care about what's happening. Leave it to the experts, leave it to the rulers, and that is the perfect system that they're manifesting step by step in our lifetime. That's part of entertainment too. There's masses of entertainment until, and again, which lowers the attention span, as we well know. And they they grow up politically um, oblivious to how their world is being managed, changed, and in fact they adapt very quickly into all the manifested changes, as uh, so it's all quite natural. Never questioning it, in fact. It's all quite natural. We know that that was always the goal of the totalitarian and socialist countries. They can get things done very fast uh, without the public having any say in anything, in fact. And uh, the experts take control of technocrats and and manage the system. And that's the whole point of it. Uh, In a so-called democratic system, you have to do it uh, by subterfuge, in a sense, by creating other sciences to manage the minds of the public so they're always distracted. And and they, they give up quite voluntarily the right to know what's happening until eventually you have a generation that will never question anything. They'll think it's all quite natural. It was there when they were born. Uh, it must be natural because it was there when, when they were born. Just like money's natural, it's there when you're born. And eventually money is just blips on a screen, and that's natural too, is there when you were born. At the very top, there are no left or right wing groups, basically. You have a, a homogenous group at the very, very top, 
they use the two the two sides basically to to manipulate society down through the last hundred odd years, and it's quite easy to do in fact. But the agenda which is made way above governments never falters; it always goes on, even when you think you're winning a little bit here and there. You're not. When you look back on life, you, you'll, you'll know what I'm, I'm talking about. But in reality, we're really managed very, very well, very carefully and, and cleverly uh, by the neuroscientists and behaviorists and psychologists working for those at the very, very top. And newspapers, as I've given many, many talks over the years on newspapers and the whole idea of controlling information, because information is what gives you your version of reality. And it works so well because you think you're getting all uh, the knowledge there is to know about what's really going on in any particular area. And, of course, you're not. It's very limited. It's heavily edited. And much of it simply isn't there at all. It's not your place, as I say. And that's the term they use at the very top. It's not your place to know uh, what's really going on. Now, technocracy was to do with efficiency of managing the people on every different level in every possible area. And that's what we live under today. Now, if you take on the fake news, and it's true, we've always had fake news. We certainly have never had completely fooled, complete full disclosure of news in our lifetimes. It's never happened. As I say, it's not our place to know what really is going on, the real whys and wherefores of things, because it's all to do with management. And that's what the news is for. It's a management technique used by the masters, basically, on us. And uh, when you think about all the, the recent uh, hullabaloo of um, fake news and so on, and I wonder how much of this is even intended to make folks switch off, uh, if, you're, if you're even switched on at all, to trying to find any news, if it's meant to make you switch off even looking for it. Because a lot of folk are, are getting disheartened altogether uh, because of the, the system we're living in right now. I've said before, and I'll say again, when you see such an overt shift in the presentation of what was news by sides, partisanship basically, from mainstream media, I hope you never forget what's been happening this last while when this seemed to be, where it's a show or not, or who knows, uh, that they seem to be very unhappy that Trump has got in in the United States. And it's an open revolt, basically, which tells you that your media has never been, <laughs> never been impartial at all. And it certainly is not impartial at the moment. And they're certainly unhappy about the fact uh, that the global agenda, they think, so it seems, if it's all true, if it's all true or not, or some kind of show, or some third stage thing, instead of a two stage thing. If it's straight on it as it seems to be, then it shows you that you can never trust them again. I hope you remember that. It's awfully important. It's easier to understand what I'm talking about if you live in a place like Canada or even Britain, because the systems of controlling the public with the mainstream radio and television, BBC and and CBC in Canada, uh, it, it literally is incredible propaganda. It's something like a, a Soviet-era propaganda that you're given constantly about how you should think and how you should behave 
and uh, and so on and so on. It really is heavy, heavy indoctrination, uh, and even down to the scolding part. If you don't think or, or or believe or whatever it is in the same way that you're supposed to, according to those at the top, it's very. It's like being in a constant school, and again, that is part of it. Lifelong education, as they call it. And that they're virtue signaling, but it's also virtue preening, as I call it, which is uh, getting guests on mainstream radio for the country, you know, the taxpayer-funded radio. Uh, and, and it's all the ones who are pushing the latest, whatever it is, in, in either gender or, or something. It's, it's always something, something, the latest part, the latest part, the latest part, and how you should think or believe and so on about it. It's just incredible. We're constantly being upgraded and, and taught what to think and how to behave and all the rest of it by our betters. Therefore, remember, you're not listening to entertainment when you hear that kind of thing from mainstream media, and you're not getting um, real education either, as far as informative education. It's indoctrination you're getting including uh, behavior modification. That's the big, big part of it, of course. That's the, that's the whole point of, the, of what you're seeing. But as I say, with, in the United States, it's quite interesting to see the gloves come off as the mainstream really go into overdrive because most folk don't realize that the masters of the world have been pushing this global agenda for your whole life uh, time and before, uh, step by step by step, uh, to, to suit themselves at the top. And they have to have everybody on board with it. That's the whole point of consensus, world consensus, and consensus building, like they say, in business. Because because to the big boys at the top, that's what the world is. It's a big, big business. That's what the nations are, and that's what democracies are too. It's a big, big business for them to run at the top. And they have Sherpas, as they call them, the guys who go out there, technocrats, who work sometimes for two, three, five years, constantly going around the world and around the leaders and different governmental departments to make sure that once they have a big world meeting for whatever it happens to be, uh, they're all on board with the same agenda and they'll sign it into law and so on. That's how things are really done. It's always outside of of the voting public. Now, when it comes to Donald Trump's cabinet, uh, people should just wait and see what's going to happen anyway because you don't know really uh, the, the whole agenda. You've got, you've got whiffs of the different agenda from the people behind Donald Trump, but we don't know uh, the whole agenda either. I'm sure nobody's going to be pleased with the whole thing eventually. And it might give people inside the U.S. a stalling period where they can breathe a little easier, uh, where, where the rest of the world's already gone even further with their climate change agreements and their carbon taxes and and uh, their deindustrialization more so than the U.S. in fact. So the U.S. might give up a breathing period for a few years, I don't know, to wait and see, won't we? As long as we don't have nothing but wars across the Middle East and finishing off the, the countries there that are still basically sovereign countries. Because the warfare really will end up uh, destroying the U.S. altogether, financially and in every other way as well. Don't forget that Britain was used for the global agenda long before the U.S. And the empire idea didn't benefit uh, the average person in Britain at all. In fact, the citizenry were handed the bill 
for the global empire, the bill for the, for, for the troops and all the ships and the military and so on, that were used to go out and take over those countries and maintain them and, uh, and so on. You're handed the bill for all. Handed the bill as well for putting in all the railway lines across India uh, so that the big boys, who were the big global corporates at the time, and you know some of their names too, it's just a fact, uh, of who they were, who were given the consulates to look after those countries on behalf, supposedly, of the crown. And the, all the business uh, for India, in and out of India, came through their hands. And my goodness, I mean, if they were rich before, they were incredibly rich afterwards. But as I say, the people in Britain themselves really were left with the bills. And World War I caved them in. World War II demolished them. And they never recovered after that. Uh, the U.S. was to take over the baton, and uh, they did as a global policeman. But remember, if you're a global policeman, you're not really keeping the peace to, as such. You're, you're still going ahead with an agenda for the unseen people who believe that they, it's their right to rule the world. They own <laughs> the, corpor- the, the top corporations of the planet. They had the, all, the, all the controlling shares of every top international corporation there happens to be. They own a good chunk of the planet through wars, etc., and, um, and, and resources underneath the, the earth, etc. They own all that too. But the American taxpayer member is, is given the bill for these big corporations, just like Britain was, and it's into the trillions Trillions and trillions of dollars. It's quite some some magic act, just pretending to balance books, because that's what it is. And that's why the coterie who manage your central banks uh, as a small group, they manage your central banks, they go back and forth between these banks, they are in charge of your the printing of your money and what you supposedly owe. It's a small group, and uh, it has to be so. Otherwise, any, anybody who is real coming into it would say, what on earth is this? Uh, were totally bankrupt a thousand times over, maybe a trillion times over. So it's a magic act. But there are people during the magic act eras, which, which can take generations, like as in Britain, but there are, there are people and families who benefit and live at the, at the pinnacle, the pinnacle of uh, everything that's manufactured in your society, in your time, in your era, including all the sciences. They, they literally live in, in, in a sci-fi era themselves, the people at the very, very top. The wealth they have today is beyond the imagination of kings uh, and queens of previous times. It really is. I used to wonder what they talked about a long, long time ago at the United Nations when I was a child, basically. And they would talk about the gap between the rich and the poor. It was always this big gap between the rich and the poor getting getting wider and wider and wider uh, as, as the, 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 the rich, who are a minority, grab more and more of everything. And it's never been explained yet as to how uh, this, this, this system works. It's never really been explained how they can... But the fact is they own the corporations, international corporations. Everything that you need to survive as an individual as a, a family or as a nation uh, or, or as a group of nations, they own it all. All the resources, all the foodstuffs, all the corporate farms, uh, and so on and so on. That's quite something, isn't it? But that is control. That is incredible control. But they do have it. And they will never give up that, that control.
Just being set back, maybe set back. We don't know yet what this game is, as, as I see by watching the United States. And the, it's, it's more than a, a hissy fit all the media is having about not getting the Democrats in. It, it's, it's like a little, a little bump on the way of what they call progress. This little bump that, that's outside their control, which will offset it for a little while until they get back in again. And they're not too, too happy about that. The rest of the world is theirs. They, they know that pretty well. It's conquered. But right now, most people in the States, even the ones who voted for Donald Trump, are waiting to see if he's there to serve the people in America or other agendas. And we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Anyway, I'll go on with some of these articles for tonight, which tie in with what I'm talking about here. There's one article here about American corporate uh, media, MSM, is merged with CIA and has been since the 1950s. I've given talks and all this kind of stuff years ago, and uh, there's been so much evidence about it of the main characters, even the top television characters and, and anchormen over the years have been part of the CIA, and it's submitted to now, of course. And that's the way it is. Um, nothing, as I say, is what it appears to be when it comes to giving you information. Information is incredibly powerful stuff. And it can go against those who currently rule if they would tell you all the truth at any particular time. And I'll put it one, that one tonight, and that's from, I think, activist post Brandon Turbeville. But also there was one um, to do with um, a woman in Canada, Eva Bartlett, who exposed media outlets, mainstream, for reporting falsehoods and misinformation in their stories and uh, and uh, she's had other interviews and with other journalistic outlets in Canada. But uh, now she's getting smeared because of what she's been saying, which is standard stuff today as well. Ever since having utterly destroyed a smug mainstream journalist at a UN summit over corporate media's claims that they had sources inside East Aleppo, Hospital bombings and other atrocities committed by the Assad government. Eva Bartlett has been the subject of a corporate media smear campaign. Now, you all know that uh, Syria uh, was on on the list to take out in the Middle East, along with Iran as well. And it hasn't stopped yet. And we've gone through all years of the U.S. funding uh, the Al-Qaeda, which moved into ISIS and different names and so on. It's all the same group. But uh, they're a proxy army for the U.S. to to try to do other countries in. And it uh, all came out, of course. But anyone who goes in to expose all of this is going to get smeared by the CIA and all the other, all the other uh, top uh, secret service agencies. There's so many of them that you, you, you'd have to take a course just to, to, to learn them all, what they're all up to. And even then, because they're secretive, they'll only tell you so much anyway, right? But uh, all this nonsense about smearing people as government agents and so on is, is such a joke. It really, in this day and age, it's such a joke. It truly is. They have nothing much else to smear uh, people whistleblowers with today because uh, the truth eventually does come out. And when it comes out, remember, too, uh, it can come out with, a, with an awful price to the person who brings it out, including their lives sometimes. 
Another article here says the CIA and the media, how America's most powerful news media worked hand in glove with the Central Intelligence Agency and why the Church Committee covered it up. And this is in 1953, Joseph Alsop, then one of America's leading syndicated columnists, went to the Philippines to cover an election. He didn't go because he was asked to do so by his syndicate. He did not go because he was asked to do so by the newspapers that printed his column. He went at the request of the CIA. He says one of the more than 400 American journalists who in the past 25 years have secretly carried out assignments for the Central Intelligence Agency according to documents on file at CIA headquarters. Some of these journalists' relationships with the new agency were tacit, some were explicit. There was cooperation, accommodation and overlap. Journalists provided a full range of clandestine services from simple intelligence gathering to serving as go-betweens with spies in communist countries. Reporters shared their notebooks with the CIA, editors shared their staffs, and some of the journalists were Pulitzer Prize winners. It's not a bad article. But this is, this is always, it's always this way. Every country is the same, by the way. It truly is. Every country is the same. Another one, too, uh, is, is a, a video war on Syria, manufactured revolution and fake media narrative. And it's from Global Research who talk about, again, Eva Bartlett. This is uh, the journalist Eva Bartlett. is the subject of a smear campaign by Canada's mainstream media. Listen to what she has to say and then decide who is telling the truth. Uh, the mainstream media denies existence of terrorists linked to Al-Qaeda. According to the mainstream sources, there were no terrorists in Aleppo. Al-Qaeda and Islamic State are supported by U.S., NATO, Saudi Arabia and Israel. They are the state sponsors of terrorism. So we're dealing with a war of aggression. Eva Bartlett provides details, uh, evidence of war crimes. Don't forget the war crimes are always going on. Honestly, I mean, if you study it all your whole life long, you'll be utterly disgusted with humanity altogether. Really. What's disgusting, too, is the, the simplicity simplicity of using young men in every generation who go through this phase where they're not quite adults yet, give them uh, training in the military, give them armaments and tell me go and kill people, and they'll do it with enthusiasm. doesn't matter who you point them to go and get, because it's quite easy to, to tell them uh, who the enemy is and give them some basic, simple, very simplistic lie as to why you're going to kill them. But they will go and do it. And once they start killing people, uh, the, the, the base, the primitive nature of humanity comes to the surface. This is it's disgusting. It truly is disgusting. How this, 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 there are certain things come to the surface, and, uh, and many of them, and it be quite, it's quite easy to create atrocities. Very easy, in fact. The, you've all seen the different uh, documentaries, I hope, because I've done them years ago, I put them up many times, on really how you, you create automatons to an extent, uh, the experiments in behavior where you bring in people who believe they're going to shock people in, in another room and keep turning up the current voltage, even if it's all fake, they don't know that, and they hear the screams and so on, to see if they'll obey authority, and they do. 
as long as someone else is taking responsibility for their actions. And the military is based on that with the with their system of ranks. And uh, but also within it all can come a terrible cruelty. It brings a cruelty to the surface in many people, not in them all, but in a lot of them actually. And you've seen the things to do with uh, torturing prisoners and how disgusting uh, your own troops can become. Well, there's nothing new in that. There really is nothing. It's, it's rather sad, terribly sad, that that's to be found so easily in human nature. But it's well understood by those at the top who do use it for their own purposes. They can just tweak the buttons and, and pull the switches and they'll do it time again, time after time. It doesn't matter who you put into the military, that's what happens. It's sad, sad, sad. And um, Anyway, in Syria, it says war and Syria, manufactured revolution and fake media narrative. And war crimes, of course, are going on all the time. This is the following video interviewed by Global Research TV was conducted in Montreal in January in the context of Eva Bartlett's Canada speaking tour. It's followed by her presentation at the Montreal venue. How we were misled about Syria, Channel 4 News. But as I say, things don't get any better really uh, because human nature doesn't change. It can be modified by those at the very top. In fact, you can get people who will go and torture people and lose their identity in the process in war situations. And when they lose their identity, if you brought them back into your own country and mentioned the political correct uh, things they've been indoctrinated with, they'll part them off verbatim, like how to treat this type of person or that type of person. No problem at all. Understand, we, we are... Human, we are human, but we are easily conditioned. Very by as experts who've studied us for <laughs> millennia, no doubt, and more so in the twentieth and into the twenty-first century, uh, by the behaviorists and the repeated experiments by secret cameras, and as they as, as they observe and observe and observe our behaviors when they tweak it and have us react this way or that way and so on. I mentioned before too you, the perfect personality profiles in all of us, gleaned from all your daily electronic activity. And they do feed little games into virtual worlds with a virtual you. We've all got a virtual you in it. And uh, they can set little scenario games to see how you'd react, uh, knowing pretty well how you're going to react because your personality profile, but also knowing that... Uh, they could set up a similar scenario in real life, unknown to you that you're being set up, and you'll react the exact way that the virtual you uh, was came out to react. That's how perfect it is. That's why it's so dangerous, the time we live in today, because it's, it's that no one's put a gun to your head and forced you to give up all your information, all your data, on a daily basis. Uh, that's, that's the macabre beauty of all. It really is scary stuff. How easy it is to get people to give up all their all their information daily, and tell. And we all hear that that, that oh, they give themselves new rights to do this, new rights to do that, with the NSA and all the secret intelligence services and in every country. And there's not hardly a murmur from the general public, as they lose all their rights and freedoms. 
It's sad. Anyway, that's to do with, with uh, again, uh, the lies in media and so on. But it's nothing new in it to me. I've always pretty well known that too. Plus, there was a decided change in media and journalists and what they were saying with the Levitt's on inquiry and the big announcement they had in Britain at the time on, on basically policing themselves, you know, journalists policing themselves. Did the same in Australia at the same time. But even up till then, uh, they were very much on their boss's side. They know where their bed is buttered and they act accordingly. Now, here's something that should be bothering all of us because of its chronology. It's, a, it's at the top of chronology at the moment. It's the an idea to control the whole planet under the guise of saving it all. You see, that's the, the, how they do it. How do you get them to give up all their rights and all, all their, their money and so on? Uh, well, just tell them they're going to die. The world's going to kill them all as the world goes uh, into, into complete disorder because the people are just destroying the planet. Fantastic plan. I've read all the articles before over many years of people in the government and all the NGOs as well giving their statements about the fact it's all a con, but it doesn't matter. It's a good con for a good reason, and they can take the money used for, for conning the public in the first world countries and spread it across the world into poorer countries. That's the, the con that they're using, because they don't intend to spread it to their, pocket, to their pockets at all of the poor people. They never have. In fact, if you look at all the money that's gone to so-called poor countries over the last hundred years, how come they're not all uh, equally rich? It doesn't get into the where it's supposed to go because we live under a basically gang warfare to an extent. But the, but and this whole idea of bringing us into austerity. Don't forget that term austerity. The United Nations wants us all to live in austerity, and and to. And to have a planned society, not just a planned family, but the planned nation, the planned society. Uh, and, uh, and this is all part of it. When they tax energy to such a high extent, and it's to really skyrocket up to the year 2020 or whatever. Carbon is to go up to about $50 a tonne, supposedly, or even more by then. Uh, then, uh, as they tax energy... They know, and I've read the articles before from the UN, that it will bring down the population. There'll be more disease, breaks out, folk can't heat themselves, things like that. And this is the big, the big agenda under the guise of saving the world. Yep, the king has no clothes, eh? And in Canada, uh, some of the, the provinces, which are just states in Canada, they're provinces, they've already uh, put in um, the, the taxes for carbon for existing, your, your existence tax. And uh, they, they give you this, this trick. They did the same with the value-added tax, called the GST in Canada, Then they put into the harmonized sales tax. Then kind of, I think for most folk, it kind of faded away and you forget all about it. But anyway, same kind of thing. It's, it's a psychological trick to offset the fact that they're robbing you blind with taxes. And they give you a little bit back. Of the, a bit of the plunder back to you and, you and then you look forward to it thinking the government's giving you something what a great trick this is isn't it the government's given me something no no, they took it, the government took it a lot more from you anyway it says Edmonton grandmother told to return a portion of the carbon tax rebate check after her husband's death and it says that 84 uh, year old Irene Pagas 
received a bill for $25 from the government after her Alberta climate change rebate was reassessed. When 84-year-old Irene Bagas opened a letter from the Alberta government last week, she started crying, her grandson says. The letter informed the senior that her Alberta climate change rebate can you believe that climate change? They're taxing you, supposed on climate change. The con to start with. Anyway, rebate has been adjusted from $150 to $125, and she owed the province $25 from the previous check. Initially, she was confused. She didn't know why they were asking for money back. Uh, Marshall Pagas said, while the amount owing is small, it's the details that Pagas and his grandmother upset. A $25 bill from the province brought back painful memories for Irene Pagas. It indicated that her annual entitlement had changed based on the information they have. Why, you may ask, wrote Pagas in a Facebook post that has now been shared nearly 15,000 times since Wednesday. Well, because her marital status has changed. How did it change? Well, her husband of 62 years, my grandfather, passed away a few weeks ago on January 19th. Tufel Pagas, 87, died after a fall. Irene has been having trouble processing the loss, especially since she was in a hospital when her husband died in their home and she never got the chance to say goodbye. She was really shaken up and so on. Anyway, the speed of the reassessment troubles the family. It was completed less than a month following Tio's death, which Pagas calls insensitive. Well, government and taxation offices are not known for sensitivity. It just shows a flaw in the system that these letters and these rebates are just sent out without factoring in the entire situation that this person is in. Now, I've read one before a few weeks back to do with someone who was cremated and actually added uh, a a huge, massive uh, carbon tax to the charge for cremation of someone's someone's, uh, family. That was a previous article. It just gets ridiculous, more ridiculous and more ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's all cons, remember. All cons. And the carbon tax is to go through eventually the big green banks, which are owned by the people we know awfully, awfully well. I've read the articles before. As they plunder you on the, on a beautiful scam. And a whole new um, investment system, basically, of carbon uh, uh, credit uh, Swaps and all this kind of stuff is like the derivatives cons as well. It's fairly much like that. Now they can have a whole new side gambling on carbon and making profit off it as they swap their carbon uh, credits, etc. For the corporations, not for the little people at the bottom. This is what they give you. Another one here is more grieving families told to return carbon tax rebates. And opposition demands answers. Well, they won't demand that hard. They should, they should be asking, demanding answers to why we're paying anything at all. And this great big con. It really is disgusting. Utterly disgusting. But again, it's to get Agenda 21 through. The whole agenda, that is. And uh, remember that Agenda 21, which is for the whole century, and 2030 is only part of it, of the years 2030. Uh, it's to be for the whole century, for the whole 21st century. The whole agenda is to be accomplished where folk are moved off the land, taxed off it and all the rest of it. And uh, folk who lived on the land are going to, are eventually won't be able to heat themselves uh, with uh, wood or anything else. And they're going to make it impossible to drive cars with their silly electric cars in the country in a climate like Canada's in the winter. 
because they can't they can't put up with the, the the kind of weather conditions that you have in Canada. Never mind the cost of electricity alone. But that's the whole idea to get you out of your cars. Agenda Twenty One says eventually there'll be no private cars owned. It's all uh, essential vehicles only. That's right in the charter that was signed into law. So you're living through the script, of course, and all the fallout they're reading right now is just part of the script. This one here is uh, more grieving families. There's an unexpected windfall, a dying Cochrane mum used to buy some final gifts for her children just days before she lost her two-year battle with cancer. So she was dying of cancer, and she got a rebate, I guess, carbon tax rebate, just before she died. But Alyssa Slager's death on January the 18th meant that $180 carbon tax rebate she received from the Alberta government was no longer hers to spend. So she died, and uh, the the government's tax folk in Alberta, Canada, decided then that it was no longer hers to spend, so Slager's grieving parents received the bill. And despite their bitterness over the letter, they paid every cent in their 37-year-old daughter's name. We paid it right away. But they're good Canadians. Canadians are awfully obedient. You know, they're terribly obedient. I mean, she, she says she only had her good name to leave behind, said Alisa's mother, Kathy Slugger, still emotional at memory of receiving the bill. For us to get a bill asking for it back is just sickening. The money, which the grieving mum said was a pittance, and it certainly is, was used to purchase a first bike for her nearly three-year-old son, Vincent, a special doll for her four-year-old daughter, Danny, and help pay for a new computer for her 16-year-old son, Seth. The Slicker story is one of a dozen instances, and I'll put the link up to what's actually in the story for the, for the other dozen instances, Postmedia has learned of which Canada Revenue Agency demanded the full amount of January's carbon tax rebate be returned by families of recipients who've died. It's just disgusting, this whole con. And the whole I let's, let's be honest here, we're all slaves, aren't we? We're all slaves to a system. And the agenda goes through regardless of how ridiculous it is. It's not me- you can't make things logical when, the, when it's not meant to be logical. It's meant to be a con. It is a con. It's an agenda to get massive money off the public, to bring them into austerity. And I've, I've done so many talks before, I'm so fed up with them, I won't do them again over the years, of how to get you into austerity to do with, uh, and all the statements from the big boys themselves and gals, saying eventually the public will have no no spending money or will all go on taxes and and paying bills and so on. That's what they want to bring you into us, and this is all part of it. As, of course, those guys at the top, the money goes through, get incredibly rich as they pretend to spread it across the world to help the poor. But we do live in pretense. We honestly live in pretense. We really do. And it's disgusting what happens. We're all just little peons, and what happens to us individually, folk forget so quickly, and unfortunately, as we see the misfortunes of others. In fact, many folk don't want to look at the misfortunes of others, and that's all part of what was the New Age movement. Look at the positive, don't look at the negative, always turn your back to negative. It might, and it's like karma, oh, it might attract bad karma to you. That was all part of the agenda of how to control societies. Psychologically, all these things did not come out by themselves. 
these new age movements. It's all part of training the public. Oh, don't look at that. That's negative. Oh, dear. And so it gets worse and worse and worse because you won't look at it until it's your turn. And then no no one will look at that either. Another article, too, it says, where there's smoke, uh, goes the adage, there's fire. But what happens when there's no smoke, or more specifically, no smoke from industrial smokestacks? The answer, generally speaking, is fewer jobs, a signal all too often of the shuttering of facilities that used to manufacture domestic products as contracts move to lower-cost countries. Now, it's all put into the free trade agreements long, long ago. And I've read them all, again, ad nauseum, over many, many years, and over radio stations, to the public. And I'm just fed up with it, too. Because you live through an awful script. And it really is a script. Let's not kid ourselves. It's all written out, regardless of what party seems to be in it pretends to be in power. The shuttered manufacturing plant has become one of the most visible symbols of economic decline in both the US and Canada. And they planned all that long before they gave you the free trade agreements. I've read them all years and years and years ago, and many times since, up to the present, where they knew they would indeed industrialize the countries. They would give it all to China. It was all planned a long time ago. And the United Nations, of course, also said that China was to be the model state for the world for us all to copy, obedient a single-party system, basically, and uh, and you'll, you'll do what you're told. That's it. And uh, said here, Trump evoked the image of rusted-out factories scattered like tombstones across the landscape in his inaugural address on, in January. The Trump administration's prime directive is to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. to reactivate these plants and, however ugly it looks, get them belching carbon dioxide back into the skies. Well, Carbon dioxide won't be belching because it's an invisible gas. You breathe it out, folks. That's carbon dioxide, what you breathe out. It's just amazing how they get all... It's all by... Is it deliberate or what? What is it? They make you think that anything to do with carbon is black and sooty. Hmm? Yep. So it says here, In Canada, by contrast, a set of smoke-free smokestacks and... Shuttered factories seems destined to become even more commonplace. In January the 1st, 2017, Ontario and Alberta adopted broad-based carbon pricing policies. Alberta opted for a carbon tax, while Ontario chose a cap-and-trade system. Alberta's carbon tax is $20 a tonne of carbon dioxide in 2017, while permits in Ontario's cap-and-trade system currently trade at about $18 per tonne of carbon dioxide. It's such a joke, isn't it? It's like, it's so abstract, per tonne of carbon dioxide. Like, have you ever seen a tonne of carbon dioxide? No, you won't either. Combine these with cap-and-trade programs already up and running in British Columbia and Quebec, and roughly 85% of Canadian businesses now live in a jurisdiction there is a price on greenhouse gas emissions. Now, most greenhouse gas emissions, remember, folks, is, is water vapor. This article goes on to say that roughly 85% of Canadian businesses now live in a jurisdiction that has a price on greenhouse gas emissions. All part of the Canadian federal government's ambitious goal to set a national floor price on carbon that all provinces must levy on emissions a move that will also force the nine provinces and territories that do not already have a pricing mechanism to act. 
In October 2016, Prime Minister Trudeau said pricing should start at a minimum of $10 per tonne of carbon dioxide emissions in 2018, rising by $10 per year to $50 per tonne by 2022. Trudeau's ultimatum to the provinces is to adopt a carbon tax or cap-and-trade system by 2018 or have one imposed. There you go. There's democracy for you. The government's goal in adopting or expanding explicit carbon pricing is to drive down the GHG emissions, global uh, greenhouse gases, I guess we're talking about, and shift carbon economy away from its dependence on fossil fuels. <laughs> fossil fuels, I tell you. <laughs> I, Canada's huge service sector, which does not generate GHGs, won't be touched by carbon pricing. But the magnitude of those recommended increases in carbon taxes has stoked fears. The nation's business communities, particularly of key trading partners such as the U.S., lag behind. This is what all the fuss is about if uh, the U.S. Uh, decides to abandon it. And uh, big corporations are behind all this move. Wall Street, remember, is the, is the, the guys who really pushed this, this particular um, tax. Wall Street, well, if they're pushing it, believe you me, they're going to get incredibly wealthy from it too, These the few people who run the whole system. For industry, carbon pricing will add significant costs to doing business in Canadian provinces by directly increasing the price of gasoline, natural gas, and similar goods that are themselves a direct source of emissions. So folk won't be investing in anything in Canada, obviously. The clear losers will be energy-intensive industries such as industrial and manufacturing companies that consume large amounts of energy uh, throughout their entire value chain. These concerns are summed up by Mitch Raymond, head of the Nova Scotia Division of Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters. It says it's equivalent to paying twice, Raymond told CBC News in an interview late last year. CME members worry that the new carbon prices will create a competitive edge for other jurisdictions that don't play by the same rules. Members, instead of saying the whole thing is nonsense, chuck it out. The, 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 see how they slant things to make you think, well, if it's not fair that other folk are not paying it as well. It's not fair. It's, well, it's not fair that anybody's paying the darn thing because it's a big racket and a con to control people. That's what it's for. Technocracy was based, remember, on a system where they controlled everyone through the energy usage. And that was picked up by the big boys in the Council on Foreign Relations as a great way of con- to control all of society. Uh, Bertrand Russell talked about it too. Eventually they'll give people credits rather than, than paychecks and the government will dish out them out. Well, it's a Sovietized, a new Sovietized system. Like the old Soviet system on steroids. That's what it's about. Controlling everyone's way of life. Right down to can you even afford to heat yourself or, or even have a life. Uh, that's what it's about. Quite something. And it's a racket. It's a con. It's a control mechanism. And a plundering technique as well. Since while their emissions vary enormously, all are expected to pay more for the energy and supplies they use due to carbon prices. Major players in the Ontario chemical industry based in Toronto and in Sarnia's so-called Chemical Valley also worry that high carbon costs in Ontario will erode competitiveness 
well, they've already given stories out from the top and the government admitting it will. It's going to cause a lot of problems and so on. But that's, it won't matter how many people suffer because of this, or businesses for that matter either. It didn't give a, a care. It didn't matter even when they brought free trade in, which guaranteed and even pushed it for the fact for your big companies to uproot their factories and move to China. We all helped pay for that through the free trade agreements. So understand how you really are run. Your government signed that into law. They have companies uh, wanting to move to China to produce their stuff over there. That, that, that basically the, the government would finance them to move and set up in China and pay any losses they claim were incurred during the, the process. That was all part of the deal. And people vote these same governments back in because their memories are so darn short. It's just incredible to me. It really is. So here they are finishing it off by penalizing you uh, under the guise of saving the world for living. We're going to penalize you and, uh, and make you poorer. Isn't that wonderful? And plunder you again. Anyway, uh, they've got this quite a good article here and uh, it goes through all the different stuff and and all the cons. I hate reading the cons themselves because it's like reading fairy stories. That's what they are. The whole carbon, so-called carbon problem, which doesn't exist. They're even trying to to, to, to get around the, the, the con of all oh, the climate change. They, they want to eventually drop that because the climate isn't complying. Just like they dropped global warming and called it climate change because the global warming wasn't complying. It's quite some, isn't it? Racketeering and management techniques. So that the, the few at the top, they're incredibly rich. And I mean, the top, way above governments, can get even more rich and get, gain more power over life and death over the rest of us. But that's our job, just, just to suffer the misery that's created uh, quietly. Anyway, I'll put this article up for those who want to waffle through it because it really is awfully sticky trying to get through this nonsense of insanity and rubbish. But this is what they're, they're hoisting and foisting upon all the general public. Uh, and well, we live in chronology, you know. It is chronology. To save the world, uh, what a great pretense that is. I won't even go into the... The panel on climate change at the United Nations, you know, the International Panel on Climate Change, because it's such a racketeering position to start with, again, to control the public and, and so on. And all their computer modeling nonsense as well, uh, which doesn't take into effect, into account the sun at all, the heat from the sun, apparently it doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with the planet. But another thing they never mentioned too is the, the volcanoes under the sea. And they can't, they don't want to talk about it, because if you, want, if you want to talk about carbon and sulfur and everything else, it comes up through the sea into the air. There's an article here, actually it's not an article, it's, um, it's from a university. And it talks about, just the, the, it gives you the maps of, of the, all these underwater volcanoes uh, from, the, from NASA and Smithsonian Institute. And it says the most productive volcanic systems on Earth are hidden under an average of 8,500 feet of water. Beneath the oceans, a global system of mid-ocean ridges produces an estimated 75% of the annual output of magma. An estimated 0.7 cubic miles of lava is erupted. Can you believe that every year, eh? The magma and lava create the edges of, a, of new oceanic plates. 
I should take tonic place, and supply heat and chemicals to some of the Earth's most unusual and rare ecosystems. Yeah, they actually give off heat, imagine that, but they're not going to tax the world. You know, actually, who is it, PAN? You send a letter to PAN with a tax demand, I guess. And it says, if an estimate of 4,000 volcanoes per million square kilometres on the floor of the Pacific Ocean is extrapolated for all the oceans, then there are more than a million submarine underwater volcanoes. A million of them under the water. Perhaps as many as 75,000 of these volcanoes rise over half a mile above the ocean floor. Technology and hard work by a group of tenacious explorers and geologists have allowed us the first detailed glimpses of submarine volcanoes. And the following pages outline some of the basic characteristics and features of submarine volcanoes. Now, if you want carbon dioxide and monoxide and, and actual the real suit itself, the real stuff, the black stuff, because they say carbon dioxide is clear and invisible, uh, then uh, this is the stuff that's coming up out the water. But I guess they won't have that factored into their, into their uh, computer models either, the IPCC. Uh, if they don't have the sun involved, then they won't have this either, of course, because it's a, because their whole goal is to, is, is to pretend that mankind is, is causing all the world's uh, weather problems and all the other problems by simply manufacturing, being here and existing. Because we live under chronology and racketeering for the big boys at the top. That's what we live under. No mystery there. For the last story for tonight, and there's a lot more I could have mentioned, but why bother? I'm sure you'll also find it for yourselves. And I guess most folk today can't take too much, as I've mentioned already. They've all been taught to um, avoid the negative stuff and look at the positive. You know, the silly little happy, happy stories that are made up by people who simply make up the stories. G20 finance ministers drop anti-protectionist pledge amongst the U.S. pushback. U.S. finance officials have refused to sign a commitment to free trade, breaking a decade-long tradition effectively preventing any deal. Action against climate change has also been dropped following U.S. intervention. And it says uh, finance ministers from the 20 leading world powers of G20 concluded talks in the German city of Baden-Baden Saturday without agreeing on a joint position that would have explicitly re- renewed their long-standing pledge to free trade. Now, free trade is to do us all in. I mean, everything means something different than, that, than what you think it does. Free trade is, is, was always designed to move all the industry from the first world countries to the third world countries for cheaper labor for the big boys who own them. And as I say, to make you poor in the first world countries uh, and to austerity. That's the agenda for Agenda 21. Anyway, following pushback from the U.S. officials led by U.S. Secretary uh, Steve uh, uh, Mnookin, the communique of G20 Finance ministers backtracked on past commitments such as open trade and outright rejection of protectionism. Uh, the ministers wrapped up their meeting on Saturday. They said the ministers issued a mildly worded statement saying that countries are working to strengthen the contribution of trade to their economies. Remember, too, for all the third world countries that they pretend to bring into all, they don't have to pay uh, any, any pollution charges whatsoever, carbon taxes or anything. Uh, for 15 years or 20 years, and then they can renew again for another 15 or 20 years at the end of that. That's part of the free trade deal. That's why China hasn't been paying any pollution taxes and so on. 
I read all the bill years ago uh, in detail, and I read lots of it on the air, and that, that's all part of the, the whole idea. And the corporations from the, from the first world countries, believe you me, they're not, they don't belong to your country. They, they might have a, had a, been based there initially, but they, they have no allegiance to the countries that they, they left. They'll sell it back to you quite happily with their brand names and all the rest of it, but they didn't give a, a darn about making you all poor as the factories all uprooted and left. No nation is a nation unless it can manufacture all the vital implements that you need to survive in a society. That's all part of it too. If you don't understand that, you see you're conquered. You're conquered. At one time, even little Britain uh, and places like Canada made their own you know, grass cutting, shears, everything, you name it, they, it was made here. And uh, that's what gave the, 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 such a, a great work system for the country. Everybody could get a job and something. And so much work, in fact, people could move around the jobs without any penalization. But today, forget it. It's all a service industry. The same service industry that finished off the demolition of Great Britain. And that's where we are now, too. The demolition of the first world countries. It's all part of the agenda on behalf of your masters. And I really mean that. I'm not kidding you. That is the agenda. And it's well understood at the top. <laughs> Even with the politicians who are not really in charge of anything at the very, very top, the, the top politicians are definitely in on it. They, they understand what I'm talking about. Because they do what they're told by their masters. And they're, they're, believe you me, there are masters above it all. Whether they want to call it the shadow government or whatever, or the oligarchy or the dominant minority, it's all the same thing that's always been here. And all the free trade agreements, remember, were drafted up by a private organization. For the European Union, it was a, it was a Royal Institute for International Affairs, the private club. It used to be called the Alfred Milner Group. And its branch in the U.S. is the Council on Foreign Relations. Private organization that boasted that they were the ones behind it. The amalgamation of countries giving away their sovereignty and into a, a, a world, global, and regional agenda. Until, yet yeah, there's no nations left. And remember Mr. Von Rompuy? Or Rompuy? How he pronounces it at the European Union when he said openly, I read the article that was in all the European papers. This is at the end of the nation state. It was gloating over the fact the European Union now dominated all the countries that used to be sovereign. And this is what I've got here in the West as well Canada, the States, and elsewhere. And the misery that's caused as you go through all these massive upsets and so on in order to destroy you all. It doesn't matter to them. They don't care. They're not suffering at the top. They don't suffer. Anyway, from a, a still cold Ontario, Canada, where it's below freezing at night, and below freezing sometimes during the day, actually right up until today, in fact, has been freezing during the day for quite a while, because of global warming, of course. From myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>